Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, we have Karen Blance Thomas, a wonderful woman with a very interesting near-death experience and so much more to share. Coming to us from North Carolina in the United States of America, I'm grateful to say, Karen Blance Thomas, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm happy to be here, too. And one of our listeners actually made the connection so that you and I could speak today. So I'm grateful to Philip. And, and yeah, welcome. Oh, um, I have a long history of, because my near-death experience was so long ago. It was uh, 35 years ago. Um, at that time, I was just um, a, a young mom. Yeah. Um, well, fairly young. I was 32, and my kids were nine and six. And um, my husband and I had moved from our home of in upstate New York to Alaska. Wow. Uh, my husband had a, actually had a friend from the Navy who had always lived in Alaska, and he had contacted us and thought that there would be work available for my husband and I both, and he encouraged us to come and make the move. And so we did. We moved up to Alaska. Where in Alaska? Um, It was a a little town called Eagle River. And it's um, outside of, it's like a a suburban area to Anchorage, uh, Alaska. And my husband was working on the oil field, the Prudhoe. And I was working in the main um, trauma hospital in Anchorage. Um, at, At that time, it was Alaska Hospital and Medical Center. Um, later became Humana Hospital. Um, my my uh, career is physical therapy, mm-hmm. and so I was able to to get a job working in the physical therapy department there. Wow! And so, and, what happened? Well, what happened? Um, five years before, I had had um, an injury to my low back, and I had a ruptured disc, and had to have a laminectomy. And then, in working with some of the um, more stressful, uh, traumatic patients that we had to work with in that center, um, I ended up having an incident happen that caused me to rupture another disc in my back. And so had gone through conservative treatment, uh, physical therapy, um, injections, all sorts of things, and it came down to having to have surgery because it just simply was not responding. Um, So I was set up for surgery and was one of the first uh, surgical patients in the morning, right in the same hospital where I worked. And my husband and and the kids came into the hospital and um, were there to walk beside the stretchers. They brought me down to to the operating room. And in the operating room, um, they were having me on my stomach to be able to open up my back to do the surgery. And I remember the, the anesthetic coming in, through the IV, and that was all, then it was lights out, Um, until suddenly my awareness was that I was about three or four inches from the ceiling tiles, Hmm. and looking at these ceiling tiles from very close up, and, and being totally puzzled as to why that was happening, until I started hearing, um, the surgeons uh, swearing and hearing uh, the anesthesiologist saying that 
the blood pressure had bottomed out and a nurse running out to get uh, blood transfusion. And, and my awareness then was back at, at the, op the operating room table where I could see they were in the process of flipping my body from face down to face up. And I realized that that was me with this very white face that I was looking at wow. and, um, and seeing the, the turmoil that was happening in there. And I immediately thought that I must be dead, but I was totally calm and, and unconcerned about that body down there. Um, but did have some concern for, oh, my husband and the kids. They're in a waiting room. Mm -hmm. And so I had this desire to, to go to them, to, to let them know that I was okay. And as soon as I had that desire, I began to drift, and I literally drifted through the wall of the operating room and out into the hallway that they had brought me down after getting in the OR suite. And so I went back the way I had, had come on the stretcher, and I just drifted along, drifted through double doors um, going into the OR suite and out into another hallway. And at, at this point, I, um, I suddenly realized that I was able to, to hear the thoughts of people. And I saw this man in a brown jacket and pants and um, carrying a bag, and he was in a big hurry and he was heading past past open elevator doors and toward the operating suite and in his mind I could hear him thinking I've got to get in there I have to get in there fast I, I got to get there you know as soon as I can I got to get there and in at the same time there was another man that prior to this I hadn't been aware of was closer to those operating room doors and I'm hearing his thoughts of, what's that guy doing thinking he can go in the OR? You know, he, he's not allowed in there. But, you know, what's he doing? And at that exact same moment, another voice from outside my consciousness said to me, look at this man. It's important. Remember it. And so I, I looked closely at the guy who was rushing. And I looked at, you know, his facial features and, you know, his clothing and everything. And as soon as that voice said that to me, and I watched him, watch the man open up the automatic doors and then go into the OR suite, as soon as he was out of sight, my own volition of trying to head toward the waiting room and my husband and my kids was gone. And, and it was as though I was on a tractor beam that now had me and was moving me rather than me, my intention moving me. Hmm. And it began pulling me up through the ceiling of that floor and through the area where the heat ducts and the wires are and up to the next floor and then through another floor and up through that floor and finally out completely out of the roof of the hospital itself and up into the sky up above it where I could see the mountains in the background. They were fairly close to where the hospital was. And then af after that much of going up in the air, which was like 
easily as high as the mountains, suddenly the direction of pull was more lateral and I was going even faster and I was going very fast uh, over the city of Anchorage itself and out toward the water and uh, at just about the point where I would be hitting going over the water, instead of being over the water, I was within this very dark cave-like structure and very black and um, and yet I'm, I'm calm, I'm perfectly you know, comfortable and at this point it, it began, I began moving much, much faster than that. And very far in the distance, uh, there was just a pinprick of light. And because of the speed that I was moving through this darkened area, um, that pinprick of light went from being a pinprick to getting bigger and bigger and bigger until the point where I suddenly burst into the light, the full light itself. And at that point, I was enveloped in this unbelievable, indescribable, immense love and peace and well-being and joy and all of the adjectives that don't begin to describe it, yeah. actually. Um, and I was just just overwhelmed with the, this this feeling. And also at this point, um, I thought, oh, where am I? So I looked down, um, thinking to look at, at the ground, and I saw that where I should have feet, there was no feet. But there was ground, and it was a very dry brown um, ground, and there was rocks, you know, know, different size rocks all over, and it was just a very arid-looking spot. And I remember thinking, oh, if I'm in heaven, I didn't expect it to be dry and rocky and brown, (laughs) you know. Um, And then my attention was drawn by a telepathic voice that said, follow me. And as I turned to to my left, I saw uh, there was a man going up an incline um, hillside. And as soon as I looked and heard that voice inside my head, um, I was immediately right behind him going up this incline. So I had time to examine the back of him. And I saw that um, he, he had almost black hair, quite long, pulled back and tied with a leather tie. He had a toga-like clothing on that was like mid-thigh or close above the knee. Mm -hmm. And he had sandals um, with leather ties that crisscrossed, wrapped up his calves. And my instant thought was, that's not Jesus. Because again, I was very I was very much into a fundamentalist type of Christian faith at that point in time. So I thought I had the answers. I thought I knew if I'm dead, exactly what should happen and who should be there. And that it it should be absent from the body and present with with Christ. Mm -hmm. So it startled me and and it threw me off base. But I followed him. So he went up over the lip of this inclined area. And when we came up over that, then it was an entirely different scene. And it was a gorgeous green meadow that was filled with flowers of 
all different kinds, kinds that I didn't ever remember having seen before. But the most important thing was I, I felt that this light that was everywhere was also within the grass, within the flowers, and it gave the flowers almost a neon light about them. And the same with the leaves and the trees. Wow. And, uh, it, it was just stunning. So I was just mesmerized and must have been taking it in for a period of time because my guide had gone on ahead and he again communicated with me telepathically and he said, come here. And this was across the meadow into the bank of a river. And this river was just glistening, diamond, beautiful. And on the opposite bank of this river was my father who had died when I was seven. Wow. And my brother who'd been killed in a car accident um, when I was 23. And various aunts and uncles who had passed away. And even there were four people that I had never met in this life, but I instantly knew were my four grandparents who had already died before I was born. And a whole group of others that, you know, were my deceased family. How did they look? They they looked young. They looked like they were around the same age that I was, actually. But it wasn't their looks that made me know who they were. It was their spirit was able to communicate with mine, and we knew each other at that depth of who we were and how we were we were family and it was this huge welcoming homecoming you know family reunion feeling of oh wow she's here isn't it wonderful she's here and of course i felt the same way and so i wanted to be across that water i wanted to be with them instantly and my guide said no, there's something else we have to do first. And so I was so disappointed. I, I really wanted to go. Um, but he said, no, some, somewhere else we have to go first. So uh, it, I had to follow him. I, and so I went behind him down along the bank of the river and around a curve and into an opening where there was this immense building that was pearlescent white. It, um, it glowed actually so white and glistening. And it was like a, a Roman or Greek temple. It had all kinds of, you know, so many stairs up the front and big columns in the front. And it was just gorgeous. And there were other people, other spirits there, um, some going up the stairs, some coming down, some in groups talking with one another. Um, everyone dressed pretty much just in, in simple flowing, um, light colored clothing. Um, and so my guide went up to the, the doorway and again said, follow me, we're going inside. And so I was instantly up behind him as he opened the doors and we went into this immense long room that on the sides, um, this, it just went up for stories and it was completely filled with books and scrolls and things and down through the middle of this long room were tables and there were people sitting at the tables and were looking at, at, at books and 
um, he said, my guide communicated to me, this is the place where the book of life is stored. And that meant something to me from my knowledge of the Bible. And I, you know, I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I wanted to look around and explore. And he said, no, we're going to another place at the back. So we walked through this whole long room and down into a hallway and, and through a doorway into a much smaller room. And in this smaller room, there was a whole oval area of spirit people who were sitting and waiting for us to come in. And in the center of this oval, instead of a table, there was like what I'd call, I compare it to like a glass bottom boat. Um, because it was like a screen, but like you could see through it, like when, when you're in a glass bottom boat. Right. And, and they communicated to me that they were the, the spiritual people who had been with me and had helped me plan my lifetime. And that now we were going to review what had happened in my life up to this point. Wow. And so at that point in time, this screened area or glass bottom boat area, it became like a hologram. And I was instantly within the hologram being myself once again in all of the things that had happened in my life up to that point. Um, and more importantly, also being pe the people I was interacting with so that I could feel what they were feeling because of what I was saying to them or how I acted to them uh, or vice versa, you know, how they were acting to me and what I was feeling. It was all the feelings and the emotions involved in what I had done when I had done things that had made people feel better. And when I had done things that had caused people to, to feel hurt. And, you know, so it was really an amazing and powerful experience that seemed to happen just like instantly. And though all of the people who were there, none of them were doing anything but sending me love and support. I was feeling bad, you know, looking at my sure. at situations and saying, oh, why didn't I thus and such. Oh, if only I had done this instead of this, you know, and if only I had realized when this person did this thing to me that hurt me, mm -hmm. they, they weren't really meaning to hurt me or they met it in a totally different way than I had taken it. Right. Um, so all of that took place very, very, it seemed like very quickly, but very intimately and detailed at the same time. It's, because time is just kind of not like it is here. So it's hard to put it into a time context to explain it to someone. Did they make you feel better? That I mean, because I oh, can't, yes. yeah, cause I can't yeah. help but think if I'm reliving my life, certainly there's been lots of times that I've made a difference. But yeah, I've had some mistakes too. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it was all the the feeling that I was getting from them was that that's fine. You know, you... That is what life is. And we're just showing you this to give you a context, more or less. And okay. we love you. And we know that that you're a totally lovable person. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I wasn't fully loved in the time that I was there. Hmm. Um, so it's at this point in my experience where I have a gap. 
I know something happened. I don't know what, and I, I have decided in the time since that it has to have been removed from my memory for a reason. And so not sure what happened okay. after this room. But then it picks up again, and I'm in a totally different spot with my guide. And he's saying, <clears throat> um, oh, wait, I missed a part. Um, with the life review, I not only had the life review portion, um, but they also communicated to me at that point, you can stay or you can return to your life. Oh. Um, and they said, if you return to your life before you decide, we want to show you some things through this hologram of what will happen if you go back and some things that may happen if you decide to return to your life. Wow. And, and so they showed me, and it was all related to me personally. It wasn't like the future of the earth or right. you know anything like that. Um, and so that was the last thing that, that I have a, a, a memory of until the point where I'm with my guide in another spot. And in this other place, it's a, again, it's a, a smaller room, but just him and I. And he's saying, I want to show you what's happening in the hospital. Um, and so it was as though I could see down through the ceiling of the waiting room uh, that my husband and my two kids were in. And I could see the doctor who had been operating on me coming to the doorway <clears throat> in his scrubs and my husband getting up from a little couch in this waiting room and going over to the doorway and standing there by him. And then all of a sudden I was aware of, of my kids being there and them being scared. And then my guide said, while you're seeing this, I want to show you those prayers of the people that you asked to pray for you. And so off to the side as though it, it was kind of to the side of this uh, one picture that I'm being shown. I see all of these prayers rising up and each of the prayers had its own vibration. And so it was like it was being shown to me physically like a musical note. So one prayer had this musical note and the next one had an, another and the next one had another and they were like linking one to another. And then the very closest prayer and last prayer that I was shown was my daughter praying that I would live because she was afraid I was dead. And at that point, got to get myself together. A little That's bit. okay. Take all the time you need. We appreciate you sharing. All of the, um, emotion of my life and came back to me where I had been totally calm and detached through everything that had happened up to that point. It was as though that last prayer kind of linked me back into my human Karen emotion and my, my desire to not have my kids grow up without me and to be back to be there for them. And so it, it made the decision for me that I needed to return to my life. And uh, 
once I did make that decision, my guide said to me, you will have proof. You'll be allowed to have proof that this did happen to you and that it was real. But you're not going to be able to remember everything that has happened to here. And you won't be allowed to remember the things about your future that you were shown. Because if you did, your, your choices would no longer be your free will. They would be colored by what you knew was supposed to happen or was going to happen. So you won't remember those things. Um, but yes, you can return. And so it, it, that's the last thing I remember until I was waking up in the recovery room and my husband and my kids were beside the stretcher with me. And instantly, as I woke up, I was completely infilled with all that immense love and peace and um, that, that pure knowing that God loved me so much and that I was so important and I was so safe. And it filled me and it also filled an area around me like a protective bubble. And I knew that and I remembered all of my experience and I knew immediately that that was my proof that it, it actually had happened. Um, because otherwise, you know, I hadn't ever experienced anything like that before. And there it was. And along with the memory of what had just taken place. And uh, so that was that was really very neat. And then later in the hospital in recovery, um, one day, as in after I got out of intensive care, um, this doctor came in to follow up with me. And as he walked in the room, I realized that he was the doctor that I, or the person that I had seen running toward the OR room mm -hmm. when I was out of body. And so I knew that's why it was important for me to look at him and to remember him, because that was another proof for me as well that it had actually happened. And in fact, later on, when I went to a follow-up appointment with him, um, I talked to him and I said, the day that my surgery happened, this is what I saw. You know, I actually was able to be out of my body and I saw you coming in, you know, and rushing toward those doors. And I said, you were wearing just regular clothes, a brown jacket and stuff. And, and is that what really happened? And he said, yes. He said, I wasn't in on call in the hospital. I was at my office. And they paged me at my office stat to come in to, to see if I was going to be able to save your life. And so he said, yes, that, that's what happened. I you know, came from outside the hospital. That's incredible. And good for you for sharing it with him because a lot of people are afraid to tell oh, their stories. Yeah, I was afraid to... The original doctor who operated on me, I never did tell him about what happened. And this particular doctor, partly because I wanted to verify again, because I'm, I'm that type of a person, um, but also because he was so kind and so personable that I thought, well, he may laugh at me. He may, you know, say, no, nah, that, that doesn't have anything to do with what really happened, but I knew that it would be gentle, even if he did, did because he just was that type of a person. You could trust him. Yeah, I could trust him. 
So, um, so that was my experience, and um, it it's for a very long time after that it was pretty difficult because a lot of what I had firmly believed and thought that I knew in terms of religion and you know being saved or not being saved and what heaven must be or what not not be it, it just no longer fit with my actual experience and so integrating back into my life was was difficult for quite a while yeah there's lots of stories i hear of people who have had near death experiences and while they might be great coming back into life not so great yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's tough um, because you know people don't believe you when you you know when you tell them about what happened or they think you hallucinated or they they just kind of give you that's all right dear you know very or did for a long time i should say people are a lot more different now than they were and i since i've found ions you know international association for near death studies which happens to be headquartered not far from where i am here where we retired to oh, wow. which i didn't know at the time we retired here um it's been very different for me and i'm yeah, a lot of things have changed over my life. Really great. How, let me ask you, when you had your experience, how clear was your vision and your hearing? Um, extremely clear, much more clear than, I'm, I'm a person who's been nearsighted from the time I was like, I got my first glasses when I was seven. And so without my glasses, I can't see my hand in front of my face hardly, right. um, but everything was crystal clear and the ability to almost be able to uh, look through a microscope, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, like when I was told to pay attention to this man, this is important, I was able to zero in on his facial features and, um, you know, what he was wearing and, and who he was, you know, up close, um, without actually being up close. It was like I wanted to see it close. I could see it close, you know. And that was the way everything was when I was looking at the the flowers. When I was looking at all of the different things that I could see, I could see them in much closer, vibrant detail than I ever could have without my glasses here. <laughs> So. I, I love stories like this because I know there's been blind people that have never had vision yet yeah. have a near-death experience and same kind of thing. They witness things happen in the mm -hmm. emergency room or outside that come to find out actually did happen and they could see with color, they could see people, they could tell faces and oh, it's just incredible. Um, also, Karen, you tell this story like it happened yesterday. How clear is does the memory survive 35 years later um definitely more clear than pretty much anything else um because it, it's it's a memory but it's it's more than a memory because each time you tell it a portion of your consciousness is literally reliving it and it's that detailed Whereas if you asked me if I went into the hospital that I worked in in Anchorage, 
what would be which direction would I turn to go to the physical therapy department that I worked in 35 years ago I literally could not tell you that mm -hmm. I don't remember it that well I don't remember where where the doctor's office was that I went to when I I did say to him you know this is what happened can you confirm it I remember you know his response that it was like how how did could you know that and yes that's what happened but to tell you how did I drive from where I lived in Eagle River to where his office was I don't remember that that well anymore so it's it's on a totally different plane of memory than any other experience. Every single person I've spoken with that's had a near-death experience, it's very, very similar. It's just crystal clear as it, it just happened or it is happening, and then you can identify each and every step. And even there was a woman who was oh, in her 80s, and she had had a NDE when I think she was five or seven years old mm -hmm. and still crystal, crystal clear. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that's recently happened because of um, my interaction with some of the, the, the scientists and researchers um, in near-death experiences and, and people who have spoken at, at the conferences, um, there's a great deal of study that's been going into where does the consciousness that happens in a near-death experience come from if the brain is not functional right. and if you accept the scientific explanation that all consciousness is produced by the brain how does that how is that possible you know and so in thinking about that in depth I realized and I shared this with a couple of the researchers who found it very very interesting and important um, I realized that when I became conscious in, in the recovery room, that as I ex just explained to you, my memory of what had just taken place with my near-death experience was crystal clear, was just absolutely right there. Plus, with that whole bubble of love and, and peace. But my consciousness um, of myself, my physical body and what had just taken place was very muddled because I was coming out of anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And so I was so muddled that I knew I was in the hospital. I knew that, you know, I was in a recovery room. Um, and, but I couldn't, I wasn't sure what had happened to me that made me be in the hospital and in a recovery room. I wasn't remembering that my, my back was being operated on because I had an, a ruptured disc and I had a big bloated stomach with staples all down the front of it. And my first feeling was, well, did I just have a baby? Mm -hmm. um, because I had this pain in my stomach, mm -hmm. I know hospital. I mean, so what I figured out was that I was operating with two different consciousnesses right. at the same time. And then I realized that when I was in the operating room, the consciousness that was run by my brain was unconscious. It was under anesthesia, and only my consciousness that I was operating through during my near-death experience was operational. And when I came back into my body, both were there initially, 
one very muddled, one very clear. And that has been real interesting to some of the scientists that are working on the fact that they truly believe that not all consciousness is generated by the brain um, and that there is consciousness able to be operating for you when the brain is not operational at all. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. Yeah. None at all. I think we're so much bigger than our bodies, who Mm -hmm. we really are. So that... That's been fascinating. And another fascinating thing, at least has been to me, um, for a long time after my near-death experience, of course, I was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in terms of trying to fit my experience into classical, traditional Christianity. And as I would do so, anytime I was in church and... um, there was scripture relating to punishment in hell or, you know, just sin and and punishment and judgment. All of those things, I would have a sensation of grating against my spirit of this is not what I truly experienced. And so it was really difficult. I, I knew God was real. I knew Jesus was real. But I also knew that messages that were being being presented as representing God and Jesus were not what I had actually experienced of being in that afterlife. And, and so I had a very hard time with that, and I began to turn to learning other forms of spirituality and looking at other, other faiths and looking at what were the foundational um, truths that were present in all different areas and what things were not the same. For a while, I, I stepped away from the church completely, which was really difficult for my family sure. and for my my marital relationship. I, although I have to say I'm one of the very few, uh, well, not very few, but I think statistics show that 70-some percent of people who are married when they have a near-death experience end up in divorce. Yes, I've read that too. Um, And that's because you truly are a different person than the person that they chose to marry. Mm -hmm. You know, so are there elements of who you are that remain, that are solid enough to keep a relationship together or not, depends on the individual, I think. And I've been very fortunate that although my husband and I did separate for a period of time, we worked and came back together and he came to know that the changes in me were not making me totally different person than who I was. They were just an, an, ex, an expansion, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and a growth that I hadn't had prior to that point. So that was... That was interesting, but in my spirituality, I also learned about meditation, and that was a tremendous help to me, too, because I had so many questions and felt like I didn't have places to turn for elaboration on what I had experienced, and um, other than reading other books from other people, which back in 1982, there were not nearly as many of, 
Um, so one of the questions that kept haunting me a lot was who was my guide? Who was that person that yes. I knew wasn't Jesus? You know? So in meditation over time, um, I came to be able to get deep enough in meditation to be able to ask to reconnect with the guide who had been in my near-death experience. And so eventually, he actually showed himself to me again. And as he had looked in my near-death experience and said, um, I'm a spiritual guide. I'm your spiritual guide. That's why I was in your near-death experience with you. And he said, my name is Carlos. And I lived a lifetime on earth with you thousands of years ago in South America. And this all was downloaded to me in this deep meditation. And then it was a few weeks after that meditation that I attended a consciousness conference here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in between sessions of this con the consciousness conference, which was fascinating and so interesting to me, um, there was um, a, a lady talking and a, a couple of people standing around her in between the sessions. And I was drawn to her for some reason. And she was talking about how she was a healing touch teacher and practitioner and that she had just returned from Peru mm -hmm. where she had been teaching um, you know, healing touch to local people in that area and then also visiting sacred sites while she was there. And in the course of her conversation telling people this, um, she said that one day she had been planning to go to this sacred site and the transportation fell through. But she said this young man um, who was from Argentina and attending the conference said, well, he knew where it was and you know he wouldn't mind taking her. And so um, she agreed and, and they went to the sacred site and she said she had been so impressed by this young man all through the conference because he just was so, had such a strong spiritual presence about him and was so natural at the healing touch and everything. And when they got to this sacred site, um, you know, she said that she had a vision of having lived in the time of that site and him also being there. And she said, I was so impressed that she says, I've decided to have him come to my holistic center here in Raleigh and get more advanced, you know, give him more advanced training. So she said, um, next week, Carlos is going to be coming. <laughs> so at this point, I burst into tears, you know, and she's looking at who's this strange lady yeah, why are you crying? standing here, <laughs> bursting into tears. So. I told her my near-death story. I told her my meditation story. And she says, oh, I've got a picture of him on my phone. Can I show it to you? And so she brought up the picture of him on the phone. And it was the, the my spiritual guy. I mean, no. other than being in modern clothes, right. it was him. And then she showed me the picture of the, the site that they had visited. And it was exactly like where I first came out of the cave-like tunnel area in my near-death experience, and it was this dry, rocky ground and stuff. It was exactly like that. How magical, so, Karen. 
So I told her that, you know, when we had come up over this incline area, that it was suddenly totally different and it was lush and green. And she says that's exactly what it's like at um, Caral Supe is the name of the, the site. Um, she said because it's down in an area where it's very dry, but then up over as you come up and out of it, she said it's very close to the ocean and the 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 breezes and the uh, and the moisture that comes off the ocean make it all very green and lush just outside of that area. So I got to meet him um, when he came to Raleigh and he had this immense connection as I did to him and he said I don't understand this or you know have any memory of your near-death experience or anything but he said I just I know what you're telling me is true and that there is Something. Oh, that is so great. Yeah, we, we can't even imagine how things work. But I'm really grateful that you brought up meditation because there's so much value in quieting the mind, going in uh, inside for get, you get your questions answered and, and all of that. And not everything gets answered right away, but uh, mm-hmm. one of my guests told me last night, there's a quote, Instead of don't just sit there, do something, it's just the opposite. Don't just do something, sit there. (laughs) (laughs) By Osho. I thought that was really great. Uh, Just to remind us to quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I also love the thought of those beings, your guides that showed you the life review, and to really get that each one of us has this team of people. Soul group. Soul group. Yeah. Helped us plan, right? Coming in, what we're going to learn. Yeah. And since that time, particularly after I met Carlos, I was just so blown away because I thought, I'm thinking in linear time, you know, and I actually asked him, when were you born? You know, and how old are you now? And and I figured out that at, at the time that, I had my near-death experience, he was literally two years old. And so he was already born here on earth. And I thought, how can that possibly be? You know, how can he be a, my spiritual guide and and have been two years old when my near... I'm thinking all this linear time thing. And then I was directed to um, the books by Michael Newton. Have you heard of the, him? Oh, Journey of Souls? Journey of Souls, Right. And destiny of souls, and so I began reading those books, and sure enough, I found in a section, and I think it was his second book, where he talked about the fact um, that when people choose to incarnate on Earth, they don't take their entire soul, spiritual essence, with them. They a, a portion of it remains on the other side, and that. It's also possible for a person to be um, have their spiritual guide uh, actually incarnate in the same lifespan time frame of the person that they're a spiritual guide to because the portion of their spirit that's still on the other side can fully be their spiritual guide, you know, not restricted by time in any way, and yet they can incarnate as a totally new person and come in contact with you know the person that they're a spiritual guide for and 
then he gave some examples of people where that had taken place. And he said sometimes they, they only meet one another in passing. Sometimes they have an important thing that they serve um, for that person. And in other times they're very intimately involved in the person's life. And so that really answered that unsolvable muddle in my brain as to how that could possibly be. Well, it's been an unsolvable muddle, I know, in a lot of people's questions. Because even I personally buy into reincarnation because I can't imagine yes, one life's I, all we got or even a child that's only lived a couple of months. That's it. You know, I, I just, yeah. no way. But, it, you know, people say um, there's been some great stories of reincarnation and people remembering, kids especially, remembering their their last lives. Uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who's deceased now, but he spent his whole life studying thousands of children and, and past life memories and how accurate they were. But then you think, well, if they come back, how can people still, like mediums, still tune into their essence? You know, it's, it's all very confusing. But what it you're is, saying makes sense because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be different parts of us. And I also know of a study that um, there were two different daughters on two continents and the mother was deceased. And at the very same time, they these daughters went to see a medium and the mother was talking to both of them at the same time, if you can get that through mm-hmm. the mediums. So our consciousness or whatever we want to call it, can split and be in different places at once. So yeah, why can't one be reincarnated on earth, but still part of it be in heaven in the afterlife? It's mind blowing stuff. It is. And I've had past life regression done. And I've also had, because of learning about Michael Newton, I've had between lives regression done. And after having that done in my meditation, um, then my spiritual guide uh, came back to me again, and he said, my, my spiritual name, and this came through in the Between Lives regression also, my spiritual um, name is not Carlos. I gave you the name Carlos, and he told me what the spiritual name was, which was Tamal. But um, I gave you the name Carlos. I gave you the visual presentation of myself, both in your near-death experience and in meditation, so that you would be triggered to recognize my reincarnated self now, you know, so that you would be able to know that it's one and the same. So that that was fascinating as well. So. Wow, there's so much a bigger picture. And as human beings, I I can't help but think it's just easy for us to buy into us having to see it or experience it to know it's real. But meanwhile, there's just this... So much bigger thing. Anita Morjani, I don't know if you've read her book, Dying yes. to Be Me. Uh, she's one of those yeah, miraculous recoveries of being totally near death, body filled with cancer to just the opposite, healthy and alive. But in her near-death experience, I remember uh, reading her book and she said it, it was like our life now as if uh, we're in a you know super huge um, room you know, uh, and there's just a flashlight being directed on one little spot, you know, so that what we can see it through that 
the light of this flashlight okay that's our life you know but not knowing it's like this giant warehouse you know with so much more it's just not illuminated you know so i can't help but think like even having concepts of our consciousness being in two different locations at once i mean it who we are right now in this physical body can't get it all just like i'm sure you can't put into words exactly every experience you had in your near-death experience is that true that there's no words for it it's very true and i i i really think that during that gap in my in my memory of the near-death experience i think that at that point i probably um i probably was actually able to really meet and somewhat meld with with god the light and that it was such an immense emotional total experience because i've met someone since through ions who did have that experience that i may even have have chosen please don't let me remember this this much the the amount that i can remember is going to be very difficult for me to go back into my mundane everyday earth life but if i remember this immensity on top of it i just don't know if i'm going to be able to my little karen mind is going to be able to handle living day to day with that um i don't know for sure that 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 has happened i i think that was what happened in that gap but that's just an educated guess on my part i think it's a a good one i've i've had lots of guests and talk to people that have experienced really immense grief coming back in their body not only feeling the physicality and the pain and the restriction of having a body but to have experienced complete unconditional love something they've never felt before and then be thrown back into planet earth which is not that and that feeling of really missing it that feeling of grief and it takes time some people a lot of time uh, but i think most people have had near-death experiences actually end up turning their lives over to wanting to serve wanting to make a bit a difference being the best person they can be Um, how is your fear of dying these days do you have any fear of death no not not whatsoever um the only thing that i would say uh being absolutely truthful is um the lead up to death um, is more of a fear that I have. You know, the the pain of the physical, yes. the, you know, the no doubt about it. All of that sort of thing that may go with certain types of death yeah. prior to the actual death. Um, that I, I will admit, I would just assume not have to go through, <laughs> yes. and would have somewhat of a fear of. But but death itself, not at all, because I I know. Um, I know what what a a release and what a joy that is actually going to be, um, not necessarily for the person that you, the people that you leave behind. They're the ones who are sad and in sorrow, but you're in more joy than you can imagine. And now, part of what what had been difficult for me um, was that I had been myself a seven year old who lost my father. And when my father died and I was seven, um, we were out in a boat together and he had a massive heart attack. And, um, you know, it was a very traumatic thing. And I was, my mother was there and my mother had sent me up to 
to change out of my clothes, out of my bathing suit and back into clothes. And, and I remember being in a, in the backseat of the car and, um, just, you know, begging God, please don't let my, my father be dead. I don't let him die. And, uh, when he died, being very angry at God and very, uh, feeling very unworthy and, you know, you know, what was wrong with me? You know, what, why wasn't I good enough? Uh, so all of that was in the background before I had my near-death experience. And I had gone through a lot of years of trying to be worthy of God and trying to be good enough. And, uh, and of course, being human, always falling short and always being disappointed. And so the near-death experience was such an immense, um, different concept for me that I... I wasn't this unworthy, sinful, mistake-making, never get it right, you know, never possible to be good enough human. I was this beloved, precious, so-loved child of God, as was my father, you know, and so it, it just really turned my world upside down. Wow. Well, it's lovely, your vision of your dad and your family and knowing that they'll be right there when that moment comes yeah wow um let me just say we only have a few minutes left how do you think you live your life differently by having this experience as if you you can only speculate like if you hadn't had this experience Mm -hmm. um well differently is exactly what i was just saying that I know how very much I'm loved and how precious I am and it's and how important love is in this world and and how much people need it to be expressed to them and how how much help you can offer to someone by being there and be and showing them love all of these things you know have been very different for me than what I had experienced before. So I do things, I am back involved with a very different type of church, but within the church, I sing in the choir, um, I do readings, I um, take communion to shut-ins. I am working on a program right now with um, a couple of wonderful people that are developing a program of help um, with the after effects for people who've had near-death experiences to help them have a form of of lifeline to integrate back into their lives after a near-death experience with less trauma and more support and protection and, you know, helping them to find out how they can be better at expressing that love to all the people that are in their world around them. Oh, how great. Really great. Um, well, before we close up the episode, do you have any uh, words of wisdom or advice you want to give us for maybe just for today? Something to remember, something to keep our eye on, something to inspire us? I would say um, think of the ways that you can help 
yourself. Be more of an example of love to the people in the world around you. Not necessarily just your immediate family, but anyone that you might come in contact with. Be consciously looking for ways that you can express kindness and that you can express love because it may be something that they haven't gotten anywhere else and it may help them to open up to the love that's there within themselves. That's beautiful. And you just never know. You see a lot of people around us, they might have a smile on their face, but you just never know what's secretly going on within. So be an example of love. Karen, is there a way people can get in touch with you? Maybe through Facebook or if uh, Um, I know. I I am on Facebook Mm -hmm. um, and I'm on there as Karen Blance Thomas. Um, If they wanted to get in touch with me via Facebook, I'd say, you know, put a message with it of who you are and and why why you wanted to contact me. Right. Because normally I don't accept friend requests if they aren't already friends with someone else in my Facebook. Right. But I'm I'm also open to being contacted by email. And my email is B-L-A-N-C-E-T-H at live, L-I-V-E dot com. And um, since... Since my story has been available online in several different places, a lot of people have contacted me that way, and I love to be able to help answer questions or, or at least be some support. I'm including beneath this episode uh, the website that you sent me, the nderf.org, with your experience. So anyone who's listening, if you're on YouTube right now, just scroll down to the description, and then uh, you can find that right there. And then also, if you go to wedontdieradio.com, this is episode 207, and you can easily find the link right there to the YouTube playing of this. And just, like I said, just beneath in the description is Karen's information. So Karen, once again, thank you for being our guest here today. Oh, you're very welcome. And I I was very glad to do it. And I think it's very nice of you, kind of you to, to have wanted to speak with me. So Oh, it's perfect. Just everything I needed to hear and probably you who's listening at home or wherever you're listening uh, it really does make a difference hearing these stories we don't have to each have a near-death experience to get the message that our love is around us that we're guided that our life is perfect we're perfect we're totally loved so I want to thank you And for our listener, thank you for being along with this journey. A special shout out to my Facebook group. Uh, We've got a whole over 2,000 people that are part of the Facebook group. And if you want to join, simply type in We Don't Die Listeners in the search box on Facebook. But it's a great place for you to share, for you to talk about these episodes, express your grief, whatever it is you're going through uh, related to the afterlife, grief, living a powerful life. We are there for you. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So be an example of love today and every day. I really want to thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. 